All right, guys. Um, I have a little bit of a disclaimer getting into today's lesson. Uh, today, lesson two, the creation. I'll, I'll remind you of the purpose of this course. The purpose of the course is to get to know God. And in, in the process of getting to know God and the fact that we're created by him and created in his image, that we begin to learn a little bit about ourselves. And the ultimate goal is to be able to come to a place where we, we know God so well and know ourselves and what he intended for us and what he does intend for us that we are able to walk on solid rock. Our life can't be shaken and destroyed by the things that come our way every day. That's really the purpose of this course called Firm Foundation. With that said, when we come to creation, we could get lost for weeks talking about the universe and, and animal kingdom and other things. Uh, and I just want you to know, other than touching on some of these subjects, that's not where we're going here in this course. Um, so uh, I guess the best thing to say is, is that this look at creation is in no way exhaustive, but it is a look at creation as to how it relates to you and me. That's what we want to look at. We want to look at God and how his heart is for us. So with that said, we'll kind of start over here where it says um, lesson two, the creation. And one of the things that's pointed out right there is, is um, uh, we have presupposed one of the most important biblical facts of all and that God has cr always existed. Um, Genesis 1.1 1, 1, um, assumes that. And uh, it says, in the beginning, God. <laughs> So he's always been there. And whatever we want to think about, about this creation, and you know, the people who are against the word of God and who are against Christianity will come with a million different things um, saying that this, what is said, couldn't be so. And what they're missing is the fact that there's no real timeline set up here. In the beginning, when was that? I don't know. <laughs> 742 billion years ago, I don't know. Uh, uh, but I do know one thing, God was there. And God was there, he's always been there, he's always existed. And, um, and it points out there, Psalm 90 verse two says that, that from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. God has always been there. Um, I wanna to turn to Psalm, if you will, you want to, I'm gonna to turn to Psalm 19. I should have already been there. But it kind of tells a little bit about what I want to be able to say here today. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4, or at least the first half of verse 4. <clears throat> the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there is no speech, not language, where their voice is not heard. 
their line, and that word line in the King James, New King James would be better interpreted voice, I'm going to say it, their voice has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. What's really being said there is what, is what Paul says in the first chapter of Romans. Um, we're without excuse in not believing in God because the world shows his handiwork. And, and that's what Paul says very well in Romans. I won't turn there. But, but basically he says everything around us shows us God. Um, I saw a picture of a bird the other day. It was on the internet. I don't know what kind of a bird it was, one of the jungle birds, but I'm going to tell you what, that was the most amazingly beautiful thing I'd ever seen. How gorgeous. And, and you look around at not just animals, but certain flowers. Um, the orchid is one that I happen to love, but have you ever really just took a good look at an orchid? And, and you know, if you think about it, um, they don't have to be like that. Uh, there could be flowers and they could just be ugly as homemade soap. Why are they beautiful? <laughs> you never seen homemade soap. I grew up with it. <laughs> My mother made soap out in the yard when I was a child quite a lot. Uh, but uh, things don't have to be beautiful. They're beautiful for a reason. God is showing us through his creation that he exists and that he, that he loves beauty. And, and what about, uh, I'm looking for a word, rhythm, on time, everything scheduled, everything working as it should, synchronized together, clockwork, uh, and we have clocks and whatever, everything works. Um, if it had been chaos, if it had been, uh, as some claim, that we just, this whole thing just evolved, come on. I think it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian because how can you have faith in the fact that this stuff just happened? I've always said this. If, if the human being just evolved and, and evolved according to whatever our needs were, our eyes would have been down around our ankle. And that's where we need to see where we're going. You see what I'm saying? And, and to say that, that I don't, you know, evolution just doesn't make any sense. I really can't understand how educated people can come to a place where they want to put faith in such a thing. Yes, dear. I was just going to say, talking about it, because I'm a serious animal lover and nature lover, but um, I took a couple classes on beekeeping a while back. They are the most amazing creature yep. that I have ever seen. And there, I mean, there's just no way and that anybody other than God could have created them. There's and no and they, have, they have quite a system of interacting. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. They will go for se up to 17 miles to get nectar and come back. And if you have like 10 hives, sure. they know which one is theirs, wow. which one to go into. Wow. I mean, it's just, if anybody ever gets a chance to take out a blue ridge, it's wonderful. <laughs> wow. and, and, and I guess that that's my whole point, is that, I, and so that's why I'm not going to go a whole lot further into that section on God's creation of the universe. There's a couple of things that I'll say. Uh, but for the most part, 
I think we can all agree that God's creation is manifest in his handiwork. Um, we can see God in everything. Another place where I really like to see God is in the kind heart of people. You ever seen a really gruff old, mean looking kind of a guy reach down and pick up a kitten? Man. There used to, I'm, I'm a truck driver and, and there used to be a poem and I wish I had a copy of it, but there was a poem about stopping an 80,000 pound rig going down the road at 60 miles an hour and, this, and it's descriptive of this driver bringing this thing to a stop so that a four ounce kitten can fall across the road. That's it. Only God puts that kind of heart in people. Um, that's, that's to me a, a showing of God and him working in people's hearts. I mean, whoever this truck driver was or whoever made up this poem is simply illustrating that, that a good heart comes from God. God does this. Um, in that last uh, sentence there, uh, above the creation of the earth, in that last little paragraph there, um, well, let me drop up to the next one. Um, first of all, it talks about creating everything by the power of his word. That's something important we need to be able to go through uh, and, and realize that God spoke all of this into existence. And if you don't already know, you might want to make yourself a little note there uh, to the side how that particular statements that are right there are carried out over in the New Testament as in John chapter 1, verse 1. John 1, 1. A very, very important statement. And let me just start there. Um, got stuff falling out of my Bible here. But this is so important to tell us who Jesus really is. John 1, 1. In the beginning, what we read over here in Genesis 1? In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, He was in the beginning with God. Who are we talking about here, do you think? Huh? Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. He says, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Everything. So when we're over here in Genesis 1-1, and we're talking about in the beginning God, John's telling us in John 1-1 that this, this one who created everything, the one referred to here as the Word, if you walk, drop down to verse 14 in, in John chapter 1, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So it's telling, it's telling us that Jesus is the Word of God and that Jesus in is actually the Creator. Uh, God the Father... Through the Son, and the Word spoken by the Son uh, created everything. That's an important thing for us to be able to grasp and know. 
just a little bit about the creation of the earth, uh, and I think we've already talked uh, quite a bit about that. But one of the things, yeah, above, just where it says the creation of the earth, again, go up to that one sentence right above that. I want to point one thing out of that. Uh, <clears throat> it's talking about creation of the heavens and the earth and the universe. It says, how do we know these things? So if we know them by faith in God's word. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. That's from Hebrews 11.3. Now, here's what I want you to catch the next sentence. This is the same way we, quote, know scientific facts. We know them because we believe the scientists and have faith in their work. How do we know the circumference of the earth? How do we know that? I don't have that figure in front of me. I used to have it somewhere. But, but we know it's known the circumference of this earth. How do we know that? How do you and I know that? We take it by faith that the people that calculated it knew what they were doing. Yeah? They, they've revealed it to us. We have faith in that as a fact. We believe the fact. Um, how do we know how the heart works? Well, we've got doctors to get in there and work on it, but we believe what they say. Uh, I forget now how many thousand times a heart beats in a year, but it's a staggering number. Uh, how do we know how far it is to the sun? And yet we know that with precision. We know that it's 186,000 miles to the moon. I have to remember that figure. Uh, we know those things because we have faith in the ones that did the work that tell us that. You ever thought of that? The scientists have figured it out. We believe them. So we're putting faith in that. So how do we know that the heavens and the earth were made by God? Same way. We have faith in it. God's word says so. I believe God's word. Nothing else makes any sense anyway. So we have faith in the fact that God's created all of this. <clears throat> All right, now we're going to get down to where we kind of really want to go. The creation of man. The phrase after his kind is repeated eight times in the first chapter of Genesis. This meant that every living creature could produce creatures like itself and only like itself. No animal could change into a different kind of animal. This principle is just as true today as it was then. Man did not come up for more forms of animal life. God created him, and he said, let us make man in our image, Genesis 1.26. Ever done something that, that you was proud of? You did it, and you're proud of it? <laughs> that first sentence up there, why did God create man? After all the trouble with God has had with man, it makes one wonder. I wrote that. I'm real proud of that sentence. So I like that real well. <laughs> after, after all the trouble that God has had with man, why in the world did he create it? And that's a, it's a question we need to answer because it's a good question. It's a good question. But when we really begin to understand the person of God, what he is like, we can realize that God not only considered the effort worthwhile, we can learn that we are a labor of love. So it is understanding 
this, his person that now becomes important. His firm, foremost and, and, and primary ad, attribute, as we studied last week, uh, is what? Love. Everything, we, we want to center, it's about, and I certainly want to center, everything that I teach is centered on or around or from that fact that, that literally everything that we're ever going to look at in this course, and I believe that everything you're going to look at in this word, even if you're talking about some kind of a battle in the Old Testament, if you look deep enough, you're going to find the heart of God. And that God, everything that God has done or ever will do is motivated from this heart of love. Everything stems from the fact of love. God is love. Uh, <clears throat> where do I want to go here? Uh, third, fourth paragraph down. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, Genesis 1, 27. What does it mean to be created in God's image? Certainly we know that we are not omnipresent nor omnipotent nor perfect in any way. So how are we like God? We are spiritual, we are personal, we are rational, we're emotional. Maybe I need to write those down. Let's, let's get those up there because these are some things that we want to capitalize on. What's the next one, guy? Personal. Personal. Next one. Rational. Rational. And emotional. Emotional. <coughs> First of all, we need to look at the fact that this is what God is. Ever thought of God as emotional? <laughs> When you get into God's Word here, you can find out that he's real emotional. Uh, you, Bill was in here last week. We had this Wednesday night Bible study, and the subject came up about hate. And God's capable of hate. It lets us know in several places that he's capable of hate. Just as capable of hate as he is of love. He's, he is emotional. <laughs> Praise God, he's rational. Um, and what about us? God gives us the ability to think. Ask any woman, and she'll tell you that most men don't have any common sense. <laughs> and I will tell you that, yeah, we have that in common. <laughs> so that's common sense, right? <laughs> so I'll argue that fact. <laughs> so we are rational. Here's, here's where we need to realize that also that we're made in the image of God, and it helps us maybe understand God a little bit. Um, Ever said or heard somebody say something along the lines of, well, you, you, just don't, you just don't understand me. You don't know how that made me feel. Um, what are they saying? They're saying, it's personal. Hey, hey, hey I'm a person, and the, and the way you're acting is affecting me as a person. We're all personal beings. That's... That's where we live and move and have our being is in the fact that it's personal. God's personal too. 
We need to remember that. Uh, when, when we think that we want to get in God's face and say, don't tell me what to do, or, or when we think that we can do something and God's not going to notice, how silly. Uh, listen, he takes it personally. It's an offense to God. When you and I sin, God takes it personally. It's an offense to what he created us to be. It's an offense to everything that he's tried to teach us. It's an offense that he put his child on the cross. If we don't worship and, and adore that, and that we're just blatantly going to go out and sin, it's, it's an offense to his person. I believe with all of our, my heart that we ought to always remember that he is personal just like we are, or the other way of saying is more proper, proper, we're personal, just like he is, and he's spiritual. And I ask you this question in the, the very first go around is that is where are you? Well, in here somewhere, right? And so that's our, that's our spirit, deep inside. <coughs> These are the ways that we're made like God, but it's nothing in there, there's more. We'll add to that list in a little while. Um, uh, but these are ways in which we're like God is, and um, <coughs> it is important for us to know what Adam is like. I've got highlighted, so I want to go into that a little bit. Get my Bible out of the way. Uh, <coughs> Adam was formed with three main parts body, soul, and spirit. Now, there's one thing that where he's different than God and we are, and that is God is a spirit being. I said that in the first lesson. He doesn't have a body that we can see. But, but we, being made as part of animals, Adam's family, we have a body. The soul is difficult to explain. Let me see if I can read it here and see what I've got written down here. Um, With his body, man can enjoy and be useful in the physical realm. <clears throat> he can see, hear, touch, taste, and smell for other things I can put up there. And be useful in the physical realm. Those are also important things for us to grasp, and we'll get back to those later and other <coughs> different lessons. Uh, but we'll, we'll be talking at some point in time about this hear, taste, touch, and smell. Um, the human ear is somewhat like a grand piano, except that it has a million times smaller. It's a million times smaller and has about a hundred times as many strings. The human eye is more remarkable than any camera ever made. The heart of man was made so that here it is, that it could beat a hundred thousand times a day and work a lifetime without requiring replacement uh, and so forth. I'm gonna skim past that. Let's go down to Adam's soul. Adam not only had a body, but he had a soul. The Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. The soul of a man consists of three parts. Here, I want to get this done. The mind, the emotions, and the will.
those three things can be our best friend and they can also be our enemy. I'm sorry, some of you can't read that, but it's in your book. Um, with his mind, Adam could think, rational, like God. With his emotions, he could feel, emotional. With his will, he could choose, volitional. That's a big thing. Because he could think, love, and choose, Adam was a living soul. And they got their word in heavy letters there, the word personal. He's a person. These are the three things that make up being a person that we can think, choose, and, um, and love. Um, Adam was a very high, very intelligent person. Uh, and let's turn the page. Here's... Oh my, I'm, I regret that I'm, it's already so late. There's so much to try to get out of this. Um, understanding man's free will is vital to our understanding of God and our relationship with him. Class, I'd like for you to, to, to underline that sentence or however you highlight or mark things. That's one of the most important sentences in this course. Man's free will is vital to our understanding of God and our relationship with Him. In order for love to be love, it is first and foremost a choice. We cannot force someone to love us, and what would we have if we did? In order for God to have a creature that would fully or truly love Him and truly worship Him and truly bring glory to Him, the creature had to be volitional, free to choose. <coughs> Adam had the power to choose what he would do. He could choose to obey God or he could choose to disobey God. Since he was free to choose what he would do, Adam was responsible for his choices. This is vital, and again, I use that word, to our understanding of how much God loves us. As we accept responsibility for our choices, we have the opportunity to enjoy the dignity we feel as a result of making right choices. Adam could not say that anyone had forced him to act against his will. He did what he chose to do. Pause and break it back to that statement made at the beginning of the last page. Why did God make man? All right, let me come back to that. Because God made man, or God made man because of this thing love. And I touched on the fact that that, well, maybe I didn't in this last page, but that love is a two-way street. Love is given and love receives. The object of giving love is in the hope of being reciprocated. Didn't always work that way for us and didn't actually work that way for God either. But, in order for love to be love, it has to be a choice. Purely has to be a choice. It cannot be anything different. Therefore, because the question comes off of why did God do what he did? Why did he set that tree in the Garden of Eden? Why, why, why? And the why always comes back to this word love and the fact that he wanted us to love him if he hadn't wanted us to love him, he would have been much better off to have made robots. 
that had just gone around and done every little thing he wanted done. <clears throat> but that would have been, in essence, because they were forced to, made that way. He didn't make us that way. He wanted us to love him out of trust. So one of the things that he had to give us, one of the things he had to do for this creature that he made, was to make him totally volitional. Now we, we clearly see from Adam that nobody forced him to do anything. He made, God simply set before him a choice. In order for, for, that, for God to be able to show that he made man to be volitional, then he obviously had to give him a choice. He had to set out a legitimate choice. And that's, that's what the story of the Garden of Eden really is. That's what the story of that tree of life really is. It's really a picture of God simply providing this creature that he's made out of his own image the, the, a choice, a viable choice. Did God know that he would choose wrong? Yeah, he knows everything, so he knew he would. So God had a plan. I'm at a loss right now to, to quote scripture and verse. Uh, but it says that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. And he made the world before he made man, right? Okay. So long before, long before this choice was given to man in the Garden of Eden, God already knew that he would have to provide a way out of what Adam got us into. That speaks pretty loudly of the love of God too, doesn't it? He loved us enough that even before he made us, he he just knew that if he gave us a choice, we'd make the wrong one. And it goes back to the man thing again. You understand? <laughs> it's a man thing. We make, we make the mistakes when we get us out of it. <laughs> so there's some other things there said in that next paragraph about the fact that we're creative. We're, we're like God. We chose us to make, uh, make things, to do things. Uh, we're, we're made to make a difference. God put in man a deep inner need to feel that he's worth something. Man needs a reason for living, a purpose in life. Furthermore, he needs to feel adequate and that his works are acceptable. We need these things in the same way that we need to be loved by someone who is important to us. These are the ingredients of being a person. And I want to take a look at something. The fact that we need these things leads us to being made in the image of God. Can we rightfully say that God needs these things? Truth is no. God doesn't need anything. God is perfect. He's, he's not lacking in any respect. But there's a different word that we can use. And that is desire. Did God desire these things? As, as you take his creation as a whole, and as you take the heart of God as a whole throughout the Bible, we will find that the heart of God is 
that he desires these things. He wanted us to love him. He desired to be loved. He made us relational because he wanted us to choose him. It all shows so much. We sometimes skim over. But what about John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe. Listen, guys. It, it tells us in, in Ephesians 2 that, that faith is a gift of God. God gave us faith. What about believing? Don't say that anywhere. He didn't give us belief. Belief is something that we do ourselves. It comes up from our own heart. It's, it's something we choose to do. We choose to believe. So, so what's, what am I saying here? I'm saying that God wants us to love him, but not because he made us to love him, but because we'll choose to. Okay? Whosoever believes it, he wants us to believe it. He wants us to choose to believe it. The, the dynamic there is that it's all love. It's real love. There's nothing that God did in the creation of us that, that, it, that is in any way ever removed from this word love. <clears throat> let, me, let me read some here. Um, and that's and that, it's actually the third paragraph below the dotted line. <clears throat> In describing his antibodies, we could both enjoy and use the physical realm and create it for him. Uh, and go on down just a little ways past that, and you see these are the ingredients of being a personal person. That's where I'd stopped. Let me read from there. God is a person. And while we may not accurately be able to say God has need of these things, we can certainly say that he desires them. We were made in his image. God intended that the needs in us were to be met by him through our close and personal spiritual relationship with him. In the, begin, in the beginning, man had a wonderful fellowship with his creator because man was in right relationship to him. And here's the, here's the big kicker. These deep inner needs were being met. Man was happy and satisfied. Uh, did we, we're reading into something here, but but can we say that Adam was even aware of needing love? No, he would. He had an environment there. He had a relationship with God that was such that he knew he was loved. It, it couldn't have even been a question in his mind. He knew that God loved him. Did he feel adequate? Well, obviously, if God had wanted him to be different, he'd have made him different. He was adequate to do, and God had said right in the beginning, go forth and subdue the earth, multiply, be fruitful and multiply, and subdue the earth, do these things, uh, indicating to Adam that you're capable of doing this. If I didn't think you could do it, I wouldn't have told you to do it. So Adam would have felt totally Loved and totally capable. Uh, what about having a purpose? Well, God just showed him a purpose. One of the things that God said to him was go name all the animals. Whatever you name them, that's what, that's what they're going to be called. You name them. So Adam had a purpose there. He had a purpose in subduing the earth. He had a purpose in being uh, multiplying and filling the earth. What's another, one of the other ones that we say? 
well, uh, to feel adequate that he could do it, and so forth. Here's the thing that we need to grasp about the fall. The fall made a separation between us and God, and it's, it's really a whole lot more than what appears on the surface. Because all of a sudden, this idea about being loved became a need. This idea about feeling like we have a purpose in life became a need. This idea about feeling like I'm adequate, I can do it, became a need. How about acceptance? We, we want to be accepted. It's a need. All of these things were not needs before the fall. They were, they were in abundance. Had them. So when man sinned and, and, and mankind <coughs> fell because of his sin, all of a sudden these things became needs. In the garden, God was meeting these things. The point is, is that he is still supposed to be the one that meets these needs. But what do we do as human beings? We turn every which way but to God. I couldn't tell you how many marriages are made up and even use the word Oh, I need him. Oh, I need her. I need her. No, you need God. And see, if the, the idea behind the need is that you're, you're saying, I want this person to meet my needs. I need, hey, you're going to supply me with all of this need to feel accepted. You're going to supply me with this need to feel that I'm adequate. You're going to supply me with this need to feel like i got a purpose in my life. You're going to supply me with this need to be loved, and you better not mess up. Because when you mess up, then we got marriage problems. What about other things? Anybody ever turn to money? Well, if I just had money, I've even known of them being reduced down to a specific car. Boy, if I, if, boy, if I just had that pickup, then, you know, everybody would pay attention to me. I'd be really something toting around and, and get a girl to ride around with me in that pickup that sits 14 feet off the ground. <laughs> See, uh, let me get you, we've got a couple of minutes. Let me get you to turn to Jeremiah. Just a little ways past Psalm, go to Psalm and turn right. Not going to go very far into Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2. Got Isaiah, big book, and then the next big book is Jeremiah. I'll, I'll preface what I want to be able to say here by saying one other thing. If when, when you're reading the Bible and you run across them, you're just reading away, da-da-da-da-da, and, read, and you run across a verse that says something, and as you're reading past it, all of a sudden something says to you, oops, what did that say? It, it, that was strange. Let me go back and read that. Guys, I want to I invite you to know that when you run across a verse that you need to stop and see what it did really say, 
it's saying something important. You're going to find some real meat there. Because some of the most important things God has said, well, probably I can't know if I can say this, but I know a lot of the things that God has said are really simple to easy to understand. But there are others that you need to stop and think about. And Jeremiah 2.13 is one. I can tell you that in my Bible reading, I was sitting on my bunk in prison, and this is one of these, this is one of the verses that jumped off the pages at me, and I dug for weeks to find out what's here. Jeremiah 2.13, God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, and he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What in the world is he saying? He's saying that, you know, when he's talking about being, Jesus said to the woman in the well, if you, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water. Something to live by. Okay. Uh, He's trying to say here that this is water that will meet our needs. See? And that we just pass right by God. We're, we don't think about going to God to get our needs met. We're going to go somewhere else. Somehow in our crazy messed up mind, we think of all these other things that we think will meet our needs. And they can't. They weren't designed to. Digging in... Another, maybe I can best illustrate this. I've got five minutes. Bear with me. Best illustrate this by my first marriage. A lot of things had happened in my life, including the fact that my mother had disappeared. As a young boy, it had quite an impact on me because even though that it wasn't in any way personal to do with me, she loved me the way I took it and the way anybody else would, I think, uh, was personal. Well, she must have, well, she walked out on me. She must not have loved me. So one of the things that that did to me as then growing into early adulthood was that I was very insecure about this thing called love, about being loved. So I met a beautiful girl, and we got married, and I can guarantee you that what I just said to you a while ago is very much what I did. Boy, she was, she was just going to fulfill all of these needs within me. And I dug in, the, the terminology, hewn themselves sisters is real appropriate. I dug into her for everything that I needed. I set her on a pedestal. Oh, she was just, she was everything to me. I don't think that if you had introduced this term to me at the time, I would have agreed with it. But in a way, she was my God. Yeah, she just was everything to me. Years clicked by. And after she had lived that way for a long time, at one point in time, she said to me, you set me on a pedestal. And I'm going, well, yeah. What are you going to do, fall off? And she was trying to tell me, no, that's not the point. But she says, you just, you set me up to the point where I'm always feeling like I can't live up to it. I just can't live up to it. Later on, when the marriage had really fallen apart, and I couldn't understand why, she made this statement to me. And she didn't know God's word, I can guarantee you. She's raised Catholic, she didn't have a clue what was in this book. 
But she said to me, you have drained me dry. I simply don't have anything else to give you. She was speaking truth. And can you see it? And can you see what God's saying here? We go about trying to get something, someone to meet our needs. And, and we set them on a pedestal. We make them be God. We pass right by God and try to make them be the God of our life. And, and then it says, you know, we're wanting to drink. Okay? Living water. We're thirsty. We're thirsty to have these needs met. And bless your heart, honey, I know you have to go. You told me you didn't. That's fine. She's got to go to one of the children's things. We turn to whatever we're turning to to get our drink, the living water, meet our needs. It can't work. It can't work. And as a matter of fact, what I did to her and what we do when we begin to dig into other people. You know, I don't have to be a male, female. What about a guy digging into his boss at work, um, expecting that boss to give him promotion after promotion, make him feel good, make him recognize how good he is, et cetera, et cetera. Boy, I'd be, if I just can be accepted by this boss, then I'll be on top of the world. Can you see where I'm going? Yeah. Going, turning to something or someone other than God to get our needs met is actually cruelty. You're being cruel to the other person, and you're being cruel to God. Listen to the heart that's saying this. Listen to the heart of God. He says, my people, talking from his heart, he says, my people have committed two evils. And the first thing they've done is they just walked right by me. They have forsaken me, and I'm the one that can meet their needs. And then they go out and they dig into other things, trying to get their thirst quenched. Can you hear the heart there? Guys, here's the whole purpose of, this, of saying this in, in view of this particular lesson about the creation. And this is what I want us to walk away from this lesson with, is that this is the way God created us. He created us to love him and depend upon him and to the part of loving each other. See, if, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I really loved my first wife, if I really loved her with a godly love, wouldn't that love have been centered on her instead of me? Okay. So if we're going to love each other, I can't love you because I need you. I just love you simply because I love you. Simply because you're a creature of God. Right. Mistakes and all. And that's the way that God loves us. We need to understand that part of it too. It's all about love. This whole idea behind creation was that God created us and created an environment for us to live in and what he wants for us is love. Let's pray. God, thank you. So thank you for your wonderful, wonderful, caring, love, mercy, and all of the good things that you are. God, help us for knowing that you are God. And help us to put our faith in you. And thank you for creation. God, I pray that as we go about our life today, we'll see your handiwork wherever we look. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right.